This week, a deep dive interview with Fubo TV CEO David Gandler. We dig into escalating and fragmenting sports rights, the role of fast channels and RSNs for VMVPDs, shuttering Fubo's nascent sports book, and much more. Welcome to this week's edition of Inside the Stream. This is Will Richmond from Kidio News, and that was Colin Dixon from Endscreen Media at the top. Hey, Colin, how are you doing? You staying dry now? We are staying dry. Yes, it's finally stopped raining in California, which is great to great to hear. And we're drying out. And this week, we are going to devote the entire podcast to an interview we recorded yesterday with the CEO and co-founder of Fubo TV, David Gandler. It's a great discussion. We touch on a lot of really interesting topics like pricing and the sports customer and the future of Fubo and AI and a whole bunch of different topics, which I think you're really going to enjoy. Uh, so that's what we're going to focus on today. Great. Let's get started. And I'm delighted to welcome to the podcast, David Gandler, who's CEO and co-founder of Fubo TV. Welcome, David. Thank you for having me. And welcome, David. Great to have you on. Thank you. And before we really get into the meat of things, David, it turns out Fubo is a little bit of a passion project because it started out so soccer-focused. And uh, I found out recently that you were a part owner of Paris FC. Yes, yes, I am. Uh, You know, Sports, uh, entertainment, media, it's a huge passion point for me. Uh, I'm lucky that it's not only my job, but um, I get to really work on other projects. And I'm a huge believer in French football. I believe I was vindicated with France being in the finals of the World Cup. Uh, Phenomenal youth programs. You know, I think they've done a phenomenal job. And I think it's probably one of those leagues that has the greatest opportunity to grow over the next five to 10 years, just given the, the size of the talent pool and the pipeline of young players, 15s, 16s, 17s, 18s. So a uh, very exciting project for me. Yeah, and uh, given the fact that uh, France managed to knock England out once again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <cup>. unfortunate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So let's let's stay with this sports focus. Talk about you set out to focus on, for, on sports from the very beginning. How has that impacted the profile of the su- subscribers to the platform? Yeah, so I think, um, you know, initially when we launched Fubo back in 2015, I think many, well, even to this day, people are skeptical. But I think um, in 2015, I think people felt it was highly unlikely that we could develop a service that was sports focused, given, you know, the cost of sports, given the types of players that are in the market that acquire sports rights. And, you know, I think we've stayed true to our mission uh, to really uh, deliver a platform that provided sports fans with the content that they they love, the teams that they love, uh, and really sort of play to their passions and super serve uh, a group of users that I think is uh, relatively large uh, in the United States, which, which I equate to roughly around thirty to thirty five million uh, people. So it's a it's a pretty big audience, and we've continued to expand our our, our sports offering since two thousand fifteen, moving from you know focusing on male Latino you know, Mexican League soccer, La Liga, et cetera, to having over 55,000 sporting events on the platform, everything from NBA and World Cup and World Series. And so it's been a it's been a great run. And uh, I think we've stayed true to our mission. 
So David, if we could pick up on um, actually maybe the data point that you just shared, which is, uh, if I heard you correctly, 30, 30 to 35 million, uh, the number you were just quoting, is that households in the U.S. that are sports fans, or is that individuals, or? Well, I, I, you know, I believe they're households because we're in the, you know, I would say the pay TV space. So we focus okay. very much on households and Fubo is a household product. Yeah. So 35 million is, and by the way, the number that I, I, how I get there is very simple. I look at local sports in America and look at the ratings uh, by, on a market by market basis for the regional sports networks. And when you round it all out, you get to about 30 to 35 million. So is it, um, given <coughs> Fubo's focus on sports, do you, do you kind of think of those 30 to 35 million households as your, as your TAM, as your total addressable market? Because again, the product is so tuned to sports and those would be the folks that would be most interested. Yeah. I, I, so over the long term, I think we have the, the best shot from any service uh, in the United States to be global, hence the name Fubo. The idea was always around football and sports and and that, but if you uh, if we just focus on the United States, I believe that yes, thirty to thirty-five million is the TAM, and um, you know just given the way our product has evolved over time relative to our competitors, despite the fact that you know you may think that you know we're in the uh, the virtual MVPD space, which is the I would say the internet delivered pay TV style bundle, we have uh, certainly been focused on the sports fan. I think that's how we've differentiated you know relative to other services. Yeah. One of the really tough things about this business is the unrelenting price increases from <laughs> the, the, the licensed sports. Uh, and unfortunately, this trickles through to your price, your the price that you offer the service to the customers. You've just announced a price increase. Uh, I think it was $5 sort of across the board. But there's also the, the RSN component. Walk us through the reasoning behind the adjustment in the pricing and, and how the RSNs work. Can I just interject? RSN is a regional sports network. So it's a, it's a regional, uh, cable, essentially cable TV network that has rights to certain uh, teams' uh, broadcasts. I, I just want to jump in and say that quickly. Yeah, yeah. Okay. J- just to add to that, the regional sport networks typically uh, are located uh, in a specific DNA, uh, DMA designated market area with teams that are in that sort of region. So if you're in New York, right. you know, think Rangers and Knicks and Yankees and Mets. If you're in, uh, you know, Boston, it's like the, the Red Sox, the Bruins, the Celtics. Uh, and so you have a, uh, you know, 20 plus of those networks across the United States that cater specifically to each of these sort of uh, regional markets. So just in terms of your, like the pricing question, you know, it's very interesting because if you think about where Fubo is as a service and its pricing strategy, we are actually the least expensive or most efficient service that includes regional sports networks. And uh, really the only other place you can get that is on cable or satellite. Uh, for the most part, um, every, I think every service has several or a few of these RSNs, but I think we have the largest portfolio of RSNs um, in the United States from a virtual perspective. If not, we're certainly, you know, uh, a top two player. So, um, you know, but if you think about our audience, we really cater, as I said, to the sports fans. So for us, we put the RSNs in our basic package, which means that 100% of our customers or something over like 98% of our customers have access to RSNs. 
and that's very different than what you typically see with RSNs where they're, um, you know, 85% of households may have them or, or fewer households. And so the reason we have uh, put those RSNs into the base uh, package is because, you know, 96% of our user base consumes sports. So for us, this makes a lot of sense. I would argue for most services, it probably doesn't make a lot of sense because, you know, most services I would say are geared towards general entertainment. And so every time you add a lot of cost or, or add sports uh, into a package, you know, many of many people in that basic package will probably not find a lot of value in that, which obviously leads to uh, increasing churn, uh, which is not has not been the case uh, for Fubo. So there, there seems to be more pricing power in a package where people understand the value of sports uh, and they want their local sports team. Right. That's that's the other piece of this. So you think they do, you think that your audience in particular really understands that sports, yep, they're a little bit more expensive, so there's a little bit more uh, uh, willingness to accept that they have to pay a bit more. Absolutely. Look, it's not, no one likes to pay more, but I think if you care and you like your, I mean, look, let's walk through the map. So, you know, I live in New York City. If I want to go to Madison Square Garden and watch, uh, you know, a Rangers or a Knicks game, um, you know, tickets are going to cost anywhere. Well, obviously, there's a low end and a high end. You know, it can be as cheap as $50, $60 a seat and as high as, you know, $5,000 a seat. Or if you're at courtside, it could be $10,000, $13,000 a seat. But if you just take a, an average seat, call about, you know, just for easy math, let's say $200 a seat, right? So now you're going to a game, you, your spouse maybe, uh, you know, or three friends or two children, and Four, four tickets are going to cost you $800 uh, to one game. You know, you buy four hot dogs, $20 a clip, you know, two beers and two Cokes, you know, another 15 to 20 bucks. I mean, you get out of there and you probably spent, you know, north of uh, $1,000. And so I think people that care about sports and enjoy sports understand the value. And let's not forget, if you, if you think about the number of games, just the quantity of games that you get of your favorite team, it's amazing. You get... You know, in some cases, you know, 80 to 100 baseball games from your favorite team, right? Or 50 to 60 hockey games or, you know, uh, an, an extreme number of games, uh, NBA games of your local team. So it's uh, I think it's a truly valuable product. And if you sort of divide the cost of the product by the number of hours viewed, it's actually ex- very inexpensive, very efficient and uh, certainly valuable in terms of, you know, the types of experiences that people in you know, sports fans are looking for. Well, first of all, God bless that you guys uh, can get a ticket to the Knicks game for 200 bucks a piece <laughs> up here in the yeah, Boston well, area where up here in the Boston area where our, our basketball team is playing uh, just slightly better than the Knicks. We, um, we are, <laughs> uh, we are paying as I can attest from having gone to the Celtics bucks game on Christmas day <laughs> on Christmas day. We are now, excuse me, we are now paying $275 for a ticket in the balcony. So never mind courtside or lower or anything like that. 275 a ticket up in the balcony. Um, but again, you know, we have a, we have a payroll to support. <laughs> I say that wink, wink. Um, right. And right. Uh, to your point, take a family of four out to TD Garden to see a Celtics game. And it's a very expensive undertaking. There's no, there's absolutely no doubt about it. And the value uh, proposition that you just said about watching on TV instead is, um, is far better, but but let me ask you, David. The um, when a Fubo subscriber gets their monthly bill from Fubo, 
if they were, let's say, at the pro level and they're paying approximately 75 a month and they were living in a, ge a geography that, uh, where there are two or more RSNs uh, available, uh, for which the rate would be $14 a month, do they get one statement or charge on their credit card that says $89 for FUBO, i.e. the 75 plus the 14, or do they get two charges one that's 75 and one that's 14. And I get, I'm asking the question to kind of get to the idea of whether they recognize a discrete value for the RSNs that they're accessing, or if it's just all part of the FUBO service in their view. So it's, you know, it's all part of the FUBO service, I would say in short. Um, but again, because we're catering to sports fans, they know the value, you know, that that's the difference when you cater to a general entertainment customer that they're thinking, okay, well, my bill is up. Well, what, why is it up? I don't, I mean, I have what I have and that's all I want. There's no reason for me to pay more. I think for, again, for our sports fans, particularly you mentioned Boston. I mean, we provide sports fans with every team and, um, you know, it's a very expensive undertaking for us as well. Um, you know, we have, tried to um, slow roll price ups but at the same time you know if you think about it player wages are going up you have leagues that are have higher expectations uh, you know you have teams that have come out of covid that you know have gone through a very painful time with no no stadium revenue uh, no ticketing revenue and so um, you know it's it, it's not something that you know it's not like it's going in our pocket i think that i think that's the key we want to create a valuable service uh, at a at a at a very favorable price, and we think that even today, you know, if you live in Boston and you were to pick up a pay TV package, which is probably the only way that you can get all your teams, you'd probably be paying in the one thirty to one forty to one fifty range. That's number one. And I've also heard that there is a uh, an RSN or regional sports price up coming as well, which could be. Uh, in the order of, you know, 15 to $20 more. So it is expensive, but like I said, for a subset of, of, of entertainment viewers, you know, it's important. This is how they spend their weekends. This is how they spend time with their families. This is how they follow their fantasy teams. This is how they place bets. And, um, you know, and this, this develops community. So I think, um, you know, for us, the job is really how do we create a product around this type of content to maximize engagement levels, to improve the lean-in experience, and at the same time provide the type of control for the passive experience. So those are the types of things we're working on. And, you know, I would argue we've differentiated probably on three levels. The first, I like to say on brand, I think most people that come to Kubo already know or believe that we have a more sports programming. I think with a brand like YouTube TV, expectations are like this, you know, free content, you know, and for Hulu, I'm sure it's about general entertainment. So brand, I think is number one. The second thing is on product. We build features, as you know, we were first to market with like uh, 4k. We have a pedal bar so you can save your favorite sports moments. Um, you know, like for instance, I watched, uh, I actually have from the last, uh, world cup, save the, the finals that, uh, you know, France played in and, and won and, um, you know, I uh, I watched four World Cup games before the start of this World Cup. So there's some value there. And then, you know, we've also delivered a, a feature called MultiView, 
which fans absolutely love. You can watch up to four screens, and it's a very powerful capability that is frictionless. And, um, you know, we're continuing to focus on interactive gaming, uh, really creating those fan experiences. And, um, you know, so, so again, I would just say it's, it's brand, it's product and content. And um, as uh, Will mentioned, the regional sports networks, again, we differentiate by putting in more sports uh, for less money um, into the platform. And, um, you know, it becomes very difficult when you get into the three, four, five million customer range to decide to put sports into the platform. So I'll give you an example. If you're Netflix and you have 60 million customers and you decided to give everybody access to, you know, an NFL Thursday night football game, you know, you're going to have to raise the price. I mean, you just are. And when you raise that price and put that game in there, I'm sure you will alienate or, or Netflix would alienate many, many people who came to Netflix because they love entertainment. They don't want to see an ad load, right? And they left cable because they were tired of paying more because they don't watch sports. So I think we're actually very well positioned to continue uh, to drive sports viewing and are probably one of few companies uh, that can afford to bring on more sports because our customer base would be interested uh, in more sports versus less sports content. Right. You, you, one of the things you mentioned there was betting. Um, now, you moved away from doing the sports book. Does betting yeah. still have a role in Fubo? Yeah. So, look, you know, it, it's funny because when I, I listen to a lot of the interviews and, and read a lot of the you know, shareholder letters from other, other streaming companies, cable companies, telcos, and everyone wants this credit card relationship, right? And I sit there and I wonder, what are, what are they talking about? What credit card relationship? That doesn't, you know, you already have an email base if you, uh, you know, have some other type of services. What do you actually need? And this concept of credit card for me is very simple. We are an aggregation service. We aggregate content. And so the direct-to-consumer uh, or, uh, you know, credit card, quote-unquote, uh, relationship is important because we need to amortize the cost the acquisition cost. And so, you know, if we have a video and we uh, spent, I'm just making up a number here, let's say we spent, you know, $10 acquiring the customer, you know, we had betting, we can then amortize the cost of that customer acquisition cost on this other service, right? And so that makes sense uh, for us. So with betting, that was actually it. I, I look at it more like in Uber and Uber Eats. Uber has a massive database of customers. They added a new feature called Uber Eats. They don't have to acquire many more customers. People have it. Over time, people access it. And so, you know, the idea for us was very simple, how we already have a massive um, database of sports fans. They come to Fubo to watch. Some of them will bet casually on their favorite team or their favorite player. And we wanted to take advantage of that given the very high cost of, of marketing on a state-by-state -state basis. And so when we uh, decided to move forward with that strategy, the cost of capital was zero. Uh, and, you know, we didn't know, no one actually knew this, I don't think, that there was an end date to free money. And so our business plan was like three to five years out. Um, you know, we were able to borrow money at a relatively low cost, lower than what the, the Fed rate is today. By the time we actually started launching states. I mean, it takes time to get all the licensing done and, 
you know, figure out how we wanted to approach it and start to develop some integrated technology, um, you know, the market changed. You have the cost of capital significantly increased and, you know, investors and shareholders, rightfully so, immediately pivot. Uh, we're no longer interested in growth and opportunities and we want to see cash flow today. And so, you know, as a, um, you know, CEO of a publicly traded company, we have fiduciary responsibilities to our shareholders and to our board. And, you know, I just frankly didn't see how we can go forward in this new environment uh, with something and expect, uh, you know, shareholders to wait two, three, four, five years. It's just, it wasn't a likely scenario. That being said, uh, we did develop some interesting technology. We're continuing to develop technology around artificial intelligence. We can talk about that if you're interested. Um, and, um, you know, we do think that there will be a point in time. Uh, I can't tell you if it's in the next 12 months or in the next 24 months or, or more where we will add some type of gaming capabilities. They will probably not be our own sports book, but it will be partnerships with third party books where we can leverage all the data that we have. So, David, let me just jump in if I could. We, um, I think we have maybe one more question on the sports side, then we want to talk a little bit more, if we can, about FAST and also about the industry change. Yeah, of course. Um, and it sounds like what happened with the sports book um, is that, you know, the world changed and Absolutely. the business case for the book, you know, changed. And, um, you know, that's part of the way the world works and everybody has to be responsive to that. So Absolutely. The question I have is about another big change that we're seeing in the sports industry, which is the, which are the repeated examples of streaming companies or technology companies uh, coming in and acquiring rights. So we saw, back to our soccer discussion, we saw Apple sign the deal with MLS. Um, Amazon has the deal with Thursday Night Football. YouTube just signed the deal for uh, Sunday Ticket, and mm -hmm. no doubt. No doubt we haven't heard the last of, you know, from these companies about sports. Can, can you just talk a little bit about how you see the dynamics of uh, these kind of new players coming into the sports market? And uh, beyond that, what impact do you think it you know, might have on, on Fubo's position in the industry? Yeah, uh, good questions. Um, so, look, I think everybody, every pundit had said, when Amazon acquired Thursday Night Football, we were in trouble. Uh, if I remember, there was a comment that was, oh, now when customers go to watch Thursday Night Football, they won't leave the Prime Video app and they'll stay there. And so companies like Fubo will lose a lot of revenue. I mean, every day there's a new, uh, you know, downward uh, scenario. Uh, I would say, and uh, again, if you look at my comments shareholder comments and, and previous comments that I've, that I've made publicly that that is not how sports works. I've been in this business with a tremendous amount of data for a long time. People want an effective and efficient experience. And so think about this and then we can get into some numbers very quickly. So you're watching Fubo TV or you're watching YouTube TV or you're watching cable, whatever it is that you're watching, Netflix, you have to leave your app, go into another app called Prime, watch the game. I mean, think about the cognitive load required to do all this, right? And then there's something happens, there's a TV timeout, and you want to check out another game, 
you have to shut that app down, leave that app, go into the other app. And then other things are tied to, you have to remember to go to the Thursday night app, right? Because casual fans will watch. And I can just give you an example is that, you know, uh, a friend of mine flew home on a Thursday night late, turned on the TV, realized it was on Amazon, and he just turned off his TV and went to bed. And uh, that is a real fact. And if you don't believe that, you just simply look at the ratings. We went from 15 million households week one, and it has deteriorated uh, to about half of that by, you know, week, I think week six or week eight. And, you know, you'll hear, you know, folks argue, well, the games weren't that good. Yeah, you know, it's like when my kid plays sports. The field isn't good. The ref isn't good. You know, the cleats aren't good. Nothing's good. Um, you know, the ball's flat. I mean, everyone has an excuse. But the reality is when you look at the local ratings for games, they bounced back. And the Amazon ratings didn't bounce back. So that's a long-winded way of saying that in order for sports to be successful, um, people need to have one app where everything is aggregated. And I think all the big streamers or technology companies are all trying to uh, figure out a way around the bundle. But there's a reason why, you know, cable was only bad for one reason, right? It got really expensive. And um, that was really the only reason. I mean, otherwise, if you wanted to watch the World Cup and you went to ESPN and you couldn't find it on your cable dial, you know, on your remote, all you did was you didn't, you didn't stress out, you didn't freak out, you just went to FS1. If it wasn't there, you went to NBC Sports. If it wasn't there, you landed on Fox Broadcast and you're like, oh, great. You put your beard down and you're ready to go. So uh, I do think that we, um, I think that this is going to be very difficult. And one of the things about startups is the goal of a startup is to find a need in a market and take advantage of it. There are no needs in the market for these companies to actually drive any value. So I think for us, we're in good shape. That's been demonstrated in the third quarter with continued uh, increases in sub counts, uh, you know, roughly around 30% year over year. So that game didn't really have an impact. And I think the MLS piece also very interesting. Uh, you know, Apple has the quote unquote exclusive rights, but I don't know if you're aware, but 38 games I believe will be on uh, FS Fox, I think, FS1 and Univision. So MLS will still get the benefit of being on television because sports needs to be broadly distributed for two reasons. One, sponsorships, uh, other, other, other types of um, revenue creation that's required. And let's not forget, one of the things that Reed Hastings said is that we have to be careful that, you know, Netflix competes with sleep, right? And uh, guess what? Sports and different leagues also have to compete with TikTok and sleep and social media and Yellowstone and whatever else is out there. And if you're not uh, fully distributed, you know, kids start to turn to different things. And so it's very important to be fully distributed. And I don't think that it's good for sports to be on one particular platform and I do believe the bundle ultimately wins. Of course, not delivered the way it currently is, which is via cable or satellite, but more through some streaming technology. Yeah, but let's um, let's pivot here, David. I, I, we wanted there are a couple of things we wanted to touch on before we finish here. The first is uh, fasts. Uh, obviously, very yeah. Lots of news around fast over the last couple of years, particularly in the last year. You're doing two things that are kind of interesting there. Thing one is you now have about 30 of the fast channels as part of the Fubo TV service. So if you could talk about what you're doing there, your strategy there. Yeah. The second thing is equally as interesting, maybe more interesting. I think you're the only v- 
virtual MVP that's doing this. You've actually created your own fast channel called Fubo Sports Network, and you're distributing yep. that through other fast platforms. So could you just talk to us a little bit about what you're doing there? Yeah, so from, a, and I'll be quick. Uh, so with it, just from a strategy perspective, I think we're actually approaching 100 channels now, uh, fast channels. And again, because we are a tech-driven company that really leverages its data well, we think ultimately we'll be able to surface the best content for every for each individual user on a discrete basis at the right time. And so for us as an aggregator, we want to have more, more content. And fast channels as they get bigger and generate more revenue will continue to improve the content that they have on their channels. And I look at, I look at streaming music as the North Star because I think streaming music is probably 10 years ahead of streaming video. You know, they went through a massive transformation from like retail CD sales and, you know, and Spotify is kind of where, where, where music landed today. I think this last past, I think the past year, I think Spotify had exceeded the, uh, its payout to the labels, uh, the payout that they had, I think in their best retail years. So it's pretty amazing if you think about that. So, um, I think the model is very similar, somewhat different, but I would say very similar. And so having more video than less video. And also, again, if you think about super serving the sports niche within that sports niche, there are other niches, right? That, you know, mountain biking and fishing. And so you may like NFL, NBA and, you know, baseball, but you might be a passionate, you know, fisherman. So we want to be able to capture all of that and surface uh, the right stuff for um, every customer. The other reason is we have a target that we put out there about $15 of ad revenue per user, which is the uh, profit driving uh, revenue stream for us. It's, it's, it's a heavy margin business. Uh, whereas subscription business on, on the subscription business side, as you can see with uh, price escalators and sports costs going up, it's tougher and tougher to raise. So that that's where the money is earned. And so if you think about the cable bundle, uh, I think that 55% of viewing on cable is broadcast viewing. So what that means is that the cable company doesn't get to share in revenue because broadcasters typically don't share their inventory. Cable networks do. So what we've decided to do is one, you know, I think our viewing now is 55% cable versus 45% broadcast. Part of that is because again, the discovery mechanisms, we can, we can get people to watch things that, that we think is valuable for them on cable where we get inventory. With the fast channels, we obviously get a much greater share of the ad inventory. So if you like a show, for instance, and I'll keep it to entertainment because I think it's just easier to explain. If you like a show on, uh, you know, do-it-yourself uh, remodeling, right, um, and you watch all different types of remodeling shows, we don't necessarily have to push you to HGTV. We can push you to the Design Network or some other fast channel that has a design show that we think is high quality, has, you know, has all the criteria that we believe will get this person to watch more uh, and drive advertising. So think of it as more of a, a business driver uh, for us, um, just like, uh, and I, I really like the channel business because, again, if you think about streaming music, you know, are you going to sit there picking a song every two minutes? No, you're going to say, well, I really like the hip hop genre, so I'm going to listen to Rap Caviar which is a uh, linear, linearized music channel within Spotify and let them choose the songs that they believe I will 
like. So there's something there and we're very focused on that type of technology and hence why we acquired Edison AI a year ago um, to really start thinking about how we leverage machine learning and artificial intelligence to create the best experience we can. There are a lot of people chasing the fast opportunity these days, as you know, yeah. I think prim primarily for the reasons that you just talked about and, and you know, I think some others as well. Um, and all of this now is happening in the face of some pretty significant headwinds in the advertising business uh, as a result of the recession and other yeah. macroeconomic factors. Mm -hmm. How do you see this playing? How, well, I guess the first quick question is how do you see this playing out for fast, ongoing fast development, as <clears throat> you mean then more specifically for, for Fubo TV? So, um, you know, I think Fubo is very lucky um, to be in the sports space in a difficult macroeconomic climate. Because if you think about advertising, advertising dollars will typically go to premium programming first which we, I think we would all agree that sports is as premium as it's going to get. Um, and, you know, if you think about the brand lift tied to sports programming, it's also quite strong. So brands typically continue. If they're going to decide to drop uh, or reduce advertising spend, it's not going to be on things like sports, right, uh, where they know they get a ton of value. That's one. Number two is not only are we do we have sports programming, but um, – we also have, I would say, the youngest audience amongst all virtual MVPDs. So think of uh, the hardest to reach demographic, which is male 18 to 49. In our case, you know, if you look at, you know, I'll give you another example, like Fast Channel. If you could buy, you know, I'll just use Fubo Sports Network, just not to use any other networks as examples. But if you have FSN on, um, you know, some other, you know, fast platform, um, and you have FSN on Fubo, you know, an advertiser, in my view, would probably want to buy FSN on Fubo first or any other fast channel on Fubo first. Why? Because our customers are paying, as you said, $74.99 plus, depending on how many RSNs you have, you know, up to an additional $13.99. And so if you're a brand, a Procter & Gamble, a Unilever, you know, uh, a U.S. Auto, you're going to want to spend money on a platform where people are willing to pay for brands, right? If someone is only willing to watch free TV on a free platform, they're probably only interested in generic product uh, to pay the lowest price possible. So I think we're very well positioned, generally speaking. Uh, again, obviously the market has softened tremendously, but I think we would probably be in a better position to weather the storm just given that those, uh, uh, I would say, uh, data points. Uh, as it relates to, um, you know, the Fubo Sports Network, uh, again, it's a powerful tool. One is we want to get our message out. Uh, it's a marketing opportunity. It allows us to develop our funnel. And, um, you know, I also believe the uh, that every business, uh, you know, eventually resets. And, uh, you know, cable networks, I remember, you know, you guys know this, uh, you know, ESPN, at one point in time had uh, tape delayed college football games uh, right in the 80s and they charged uh, TSI cable I think two cents right so I think what will happen is the best fast channels the ones that drive the most value at some point are going to come to us and say hey pay me one cent uh, because I give you value right and the ones that don't create any value we're going to say hey pay us because it costs us money to stream you so I think over time that you'll see fast channels that become cable networks 
And I think there are cable networks that will become irrelevant uh, just by nature. And uh, I do think it's an opportunity to reset the bundle. But I, I have to say, there is no chance that aggregation does not survive. It is highly unlikely. You have aggregation in music. You have aggregation in travel. We all want to go to Expedia.com. I'm not going to go to Hilton.com and Marriott.com and you know Delta.com. I can't go to 50 different websites to build a travel package, right? Uh, some people who really love Marriott or Hilton, they'll only go to Hilton and they're a loyal customer. That's a very small fraction of people. Most of us will go to, to aggregated services and even retail. You, go, you don't go to a Procter & Campbell store with seven products. You go to Walmart or you go to Whole Foods, et cetera. So, again, I think that the streaming TV business or the, uh, I would say the video business is very far behind. Uh, but I, I, I believe we're very well positioned. And, again, even given all the content that has been acquired and removed from the platform, the only thing that's happening is you know, companies that are acquiring are not able to uh, sell or, or, or generate enough revenue to cover the cost of that programming. So again, we're, we're very well situated with a heavy focus on technology, uh, unifying our platform across the globe, and developing more products and features leveraging AI in the future. And, and I guess that sort of leads me to my last question. You mentioned it up front. You're doing some uh, experiments with AI in France. Tell us yeah. what's going on there and when will we see the fruits here in the US? Yeah, so, so I, think we, I think that where you heard those comments were at, at another conference, uh, I think that was actually conflated. So there's two separate pieces. We acquired a, a French virtual MVPD. Um, you know, which um, Molotov, has been doing right? well. Molotov. Molotov, yeah. yes. It's it's one of the largest services uh, in France. And uh, we are unifying a platform to be able to deliver features that they've created and features that we've created uh, for their market. And so we think that over the next three years, we'll be able to remove somewhere in, uh, around 70 to $75 million in cost just by unifying the platform and creating a potential way for us to move in very efficiently into other markets when the time is right. That is not on the radar today, besides the markets we're currently in. On the AI side, uh, and I think uh, we, we mentioned this in multiple shareholder letters, that we acquired a company called Edison AI. This is a company that has several patents um, in the space. Uh, we've now built out that team, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, that team now has about uh, 70 people. Uh, on it. And, um, you know, we're, right now we're kind of, and, and by the way, that has nothing to do with the unified platform. So you will see some of that uh, in the future um, in the U.S. Um, but, you know, we're looking about looking at things like very simple stuff. First of all, we can already detect facial recognition on moving objects, not sort of still photos. That's important because if players are moving across the screen, you can tell that's Cristiano Ronaldo. You can read the number on the back of the shirt. So there's things like that that are, are going to play an important role. Um, we're also able to um, leverage multiple data sources, right? So think about this. You're watching a game. Uh, you had a weak internet connection. You had a little bit of buffering. You're now one second behind or five seconds behind or 10 seconds behind. And then you see some data pop up on your screen that says goal, you know, one nothing, Chelsea. Um, and then you say, wait a minute, I didn't see it. So now we actually have a capability that allows us to see, read the clock, read the scoreboard and say, okay, well, if it says zero, zero, we can't show a data 
you know, point that says one zero. We have to match the source with the data on the screen that, you know, through the machine learning that we've developed to be able to see that. Um, so you're seeing a lot of the computer vision technology that, that we're starting to leverage there. And then ultimately, I think we'll start testing very interesting things like, can you imagine having 55,000 events on the platform? I just came back from a, you know, a kid's soccer tournament in Pennsylvania or in Southern California or wherever you are, or in San Antonio, Texas. You get home, you missed uh, 14 soccer games, right? And you can ask Fubo, hey, can you show me uh, every soccer goal that was scored from the left side? Can you show me every three-pass combination that led to a goal? So uh, essentially what we're going to be doing now is having the machines go frame by frame, read all of the metadata, and really come out with strong um, product features. And sky's the limit. I think when you look at something like ChatGPT, finally, you know, people are like, oh, wow, look at, look at what this can do. I mean, it can do lots of great things. And I think Fubo, historically, since 2015, has demonstrated we're slightly ahead of the market. First on sports, come for the sports, stay for the entertainment. First on 4K. Uh, we've been first on multi-view, first on AI. I mean, there's so many things that we're doing that make us a very strong competitor. Uh, and again, over the next seven to 10 years, you know, I would, I would like us to see, again, this is just sort of a, a mission, vision, however you want to look at it, but can you be the number two or number three player everywhere in every country in the world and become de facto number one, right? That's sort of the, the big dream and uh, to build enough technology for in space where, you know, uh, aggregation ultimately um, is the driving force and, and gateway to television. Well, this was great. This was great, David. And I'm happy to say that you also just uh, in your last comments won me another $5 because I have a side bet with a friend that there's no business conversation that can be had these days without a mention of chat GPT uh, coming up. So you just hit the, uh, I mean, it's, you just it's, hit, it's you relevant. Just hit my bingo. You just hit my bingo board. So thank you for, uh, for winning me $5 here in the waning minutes of our, of our conversation. But, uh, this has been fantastic. We've covered a ton of ground here, David. Yep. Um, and you've done, uh, you know, a terrific job articulating where Fubo fits in in this obviously very complicated landscape that we're all living in. So thank yeah, you so indeed. much for taking time with us today. Thank you. Thank you, gentlemen, for having me. Thank you, David. Yep. Inside the Stream is a production of In Screen Media and Video News. All rights reserved. <laughs>